Everybody say hi to Joshua. <laughs> We're so glad to have him back. Uh, and I know he's glad to be back because he can actually throw stuff in his yard now as opposed to... Uh, <laughs> um, so so you're, you're done for all intents and purposes. You are now home. Yes. Okay, good. A couple of camping trips on the weekend every now and then. Other than that, you're good. All right, good, good. All right, well, we're going to move forward here because it's 920, and I promised people that we would start earlier than this. So at least I want to start by 920. Um, so let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together. We thank you for the gift that we have of your spirit to open our eyes and open our hearts to what your word would teach us. Uh, let us be instructed by the author today as we uh, as we delve into this feast of unleavened bread and let it be uh, a time that we glory in what you've done for us in Christ and what you've called us to be uh, in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we are slowly but surely going through the last plague, which is the, uh, the, the, the death of the firstborn in Egypt. But before we get there, we have this feast, this code given to the Hebrews on the Passover. And we talked a little bit about this last week, that there are, there are two uh, elements to it. One is what? I'll just toss it to you. What, what's the first element of the feast? The lamb. The lamb is the, is the first element. And what did we talk about last week that representing? We had a list. We had ten, ten things. Always a good answer in Sunday school. I, incidentally, um, well, never mind. I was, I was a sacred sandwich thing. Anyway, um, there, there, so, so the lamb represents for us a picture of Christ, our life in Christ, what he's done. Uh, there's a second part of this feast. It's the, there's another seven days that follows it. What, 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 what is it? Did we, we talked about that a little bit. Blank stairs. Let's read about it. Let's go to uh, Exodus 12. Exodus 12. 12 through 28. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as a statue forever. You shall keep it as a feast. Verse 15. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. On the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared by you. And you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt." Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month, from the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the, month, of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven is to be found in, in your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened, that person will be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a sojourner or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwelling places you shall eat unleavened bread." Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. The Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, 
do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for it passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, it spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. All right. What's the point of this? Somebody have a seat for Ashley? I'm good. I can do that, Yeah, it's not going to happen. Get, a, get her a seat. Um, so we have this picture of redemption in the Passover lamb, and we saw ultimately redemption that we have in Christ as an assembly. Remember, that was a community thing. They all struck their lambs at the same time at midnight or at, in, in the evening time, uh, around midnight. And so you had this nationwide act of worship and obedience in, in killing what was precious to them, this lamb that had become a pet. So now you have a second section. What follows the Feast of Redemption? Unleavened the, bread. Unleavened bread. Put a pin in that. We have a quick overview here of 12 through 14 because I want to address this kind of at the end when we get to the end of all the plagues. Um, It has a very interesting phrase here. He's summarizing the judgment the Hebrews are being saved from by bringing into judgment all the gods of Egypt. Now, we had talked before about how the Egyptian culture was the most polytheistic. Some have guessed, some have stated uh, probably the most polytheistic of, of in, in human history. They had gods under everything. like TV and they had gods under everything, demons under everything, whatever. It was, it was incredibly um, polytheistic. We got ten plagues. At most, maybe three gods, a plague implicated here. <laughs> How in the world is that a true statement? And so all the gods of Egypt are judged. So I want to I put a hold on that. We're going to bracket that, 10 through 14. And we'll look at that at the end of this when we get through that plague. But that's, that's why I'm pausing there. But just notice that he, he talks about judging all the gods of Egypt. And, and in that, he's claiming superiority over all these gods through the judgment of these 10 plagues. And, uh, and ultimately uh, leading to the death of all the firstborn. So the interesting thing, too, to look at that is that Thanksgiving becomes the law. Thankfulness, remembering, celebrating this Passover, that's the law. All right. What follows redemption, 15 through, 15 through 20? We've seen the second part of the Passover. The, ultimately, we talked about last week, the, the, the lamb part of Passover and the unleavened bread, it really becomes one feast time. The lamb comes first, then the unleavened bread. What are the instructions here? Walk me through it. What are the instructions? What do we see? Last week was 10 points. This week? Seven points. All right. <clears throat> and there's a reason. What are the, what are the instructions do you see on, on the, um, the, this unleavened bread? There's seven days there. For seven days. It's a seven-day feast. Why? What do we know about the use of these kinds of numbers, 10 being uh, completion, or uh, what was it, 10 being the the, the perfection? Uh, And then you have seven being the idea of the fullness of time or the completion of of things. This this idea of, of seven a seven day feast um, becomes kind of a, a thing that we'll see later on. It's a repeated theme in in uh, the Old Testament. W- what's something else? So you have seven day feast. What else? What else do you see? Remove the leaven from the houses. Remove the leaven from the houses. Ain't no leaven here. Right? Remove the leaven from your houses. Seven-day feast, ain't no leaven here. And then what else? What else we see? A holy convocation. A holy assembly. A holy convocation. 
pulley assembly. Can I make this noise here? Um, that, that's a new phrase for us in, in the Old Testament. This idea of a holy assembly, holy congregation. Um, there's a... Um, there's, let me see, 11 times in Leviticus 23 that, that phrase is used. Four times in Numbers 28 through 29. It's twice in Exodus. It's, it's a term that's, that's a, a technical term for a religious gathering. This is a worship time, again, an act of worship in community. Um, and it's, it's very prominent here in these feasts to see that this is not just a, a, an individualistic thing. This, this is a communal activity. We, they're doing this as an expression of their national identity, who they are from what God has called them out of. All right. What else? No work should be done. Okay. There's none of the Holy Assembly last day. Right. So there's Holy Assembly on the first day. Oops. First day and last day. And then no work. Um, the seven day feast, no leaven. There's something here. That he talks about, we'll put it down here. But what else? There's no leaven in the house. What are they to be eating? Unleavened bread, right? So, unleavened bread. And there's kind of a kind of a penalty involved. What does that mean? Cut off from Israel. Sounds ominous. I don't think I want to be there. What does that mean? Okay. One interpretation could be going to hell. <laughs> what do we see in 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 the uh, in the narratives of the Old Testament about being cut off from Israel? What what does that generally involve? Shunning. Shunning. So you lose fellowship with the community. Heritage is cut off. Could lead to something else too. Achan was cut off from... Oh, go ahead. So you cut off not only in the, in the culture, but also in religious activity, in the, in, the, in the presence of God. You're cut off from that, part of being Israel. And death. So some pretty significant penalties from being cut off uh, from Israel by not, <coughs> by not clearing out all the leaven. Really? Seem a little harsh? what God said. Um, Alright. So you have work that's being prohibited, the beginning and ending. What's another thing that they have in here that, that, that God tells Moses that they need to be doing? Observing the feast. He uses a word here that... that um, it says observe, I think, in the uh, the eminently superior version. But um, he also says that, that word observe. Yeah, there it is in verse uh, in verse seventeen. That word observe can also mean keep or guard. To jealously guard it. This bread. Does that seem weird? To guard bread. Keep or guard. What is that? What's the point of that? What do they mean, keep or guard it? Maybe it's not the bread that they're keeping and guarding, but it's the communal activity of remembering what God has been faithful to do. For okay, yeah. See that? This is important enough to watch over it, is apparently the point. God wants his people to be concerned about keeping this activity keeping the leaven out, eating the unleavened bread, not working, making sure there's a holy assembly on the first day and the last day. These are things that he wants his people to be 
guarding, keeping, protecting. Um, and they're to keep it throughout their generations. They're, they're to teach their children this rite, this feast. Um, notice here, this no work is on the first and the last day also. What's happening on the first and last day? What does he say is going to happen on that first day of the unleavened bread? Worship. Okay. What's God going to do on that day? Passover, he comes and strikes Israel. First day of unleavened bread, what happens? What does it say? That's when he's bringing them out. So they're to do no work on that day because they're going to be in transit. They're going to be moving, relocating, getting the deposit down in Canaan. They're They're moving. They're going. First day, they're gone. Who's working then? Who's working on the first day if they're not the people when they're leaving? God is working. What is the point of this feast? What is the picture here? Okay. So rest after sacrifice. similarities here with creation um, well let's just let's just finish the, the 21 through 28 here and then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more what is their response Moses goes into it with them and first he says who does he call after God gives him these instructions on the unleavened bread who, who does he call the elders. the elders he explains this method and manner of applying the blood sign to the homes to the elders why does he why does he call just the elders what do you think? It's all he needs. It's all he needs. Okay. The elders were to care for the families that they were placed in charge of, right? These are heads of clans. They're, they're to obey first, and then the congregation will follow. The leadership is to obey first, and then the, then the assembly will follow. Notice the picture there. Um Leadership in God's economy is one of service. It's not, go do this, I'm going to go eat some bonbons. They're actively serving first as an example to the people. So he's, he, he explains this method and manner of applying the blood sign. Hyssop. He uses hyssop. Why? What is hyssop? I haven't seen hyssop around East Texas. Do you know what hyssop is? Imagine the sap that comes out of horse hyssop. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it just sounds like this. One, one option of the sap that comes out of horse apples, and I'm not really sure. But it's not that, no. Right? Hyssop is a, is a, is a, is a, um, a plant that has a lot of stalks to it. It's kind of a, a very variegated brushy thing and and the the way they would do it is they would and it's used in other rituals when we get to Leviticus on that glorious day um, we'll see that they use uh, hyssop a lot and, and, and dipping it into the blood and, and you know doing and, and we'll see Moses do that to the people whenever they do the covenant um, it's a the way that it's set up it keeps the blood from coagulating the way this the, the natural so they used it to paint onto the doorpost this so the blood wouldn't dry, they used hyssop. Later on, hyssop would be synonymous with purification. Remember, 
David, Psalm 51, purge me with hyssop. Right? Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. That, that whole language is one of Levitical purification um, and, and, and Passover purification um, in, in, in his repentance hymn. Um, who, who's the destroyer here in verse 23? God's coming to Egypt. He's the plague. <laughs> right? Well, what's this talk of a destroyer? Anyone want to hazard a guess? You think? I think. Look at First Chronicles. Well, we're not talking. Remember in First Chronicles <laughs> twenty-one, there's this scene where David does this unlawful census. And there's some sovereignty of God issues there that get discussed. Where does the Lord put it in David's heart because he wanted to judge Jerusalem? He he takes a census inappropriately. It's an act of disobedience for him to do it. And so God gives him a choice of, you know, loose your enemies, plague, um, or, um, or something else. Anyway, three things. And, and he chooses, he, he says, the Lord is merciful, let him decide. And so God sends a, a, a destroyer marching toward Jerusalem. And it's, it's called the angel of the Lord. It, it's the destroyer in there. Who's the angel of the Lord? <laughs> Not an angel of the Lord. Whenever, whenever the Old Testament talks about the angel of the Lord, many times uh, it, it is um, believed that that's the pre-incarnate Christ. Aren't there several places where the angel of the Lord is worshipped and he doesn't say, give up? Right. Kind of lends the, to the belief that maybe he he thinks he he deserves it. So you have this angel of the Lord, this destroyer, and and God says, "I will hold off the destroyer from coming and have him pass over when I see the blood sign." So he gives them the method and means of this of this protection. Um, do you notice how important it is? To train children to know God in these in these passages. In these feasts, you see this again, teach it to your children. So that when they ask you about this service, which is an interesting word to use, isn't it? This service. What's that in contrast to? What service have they been doing? The service to Pharaoh has been cruel and oppressive. The service to God is I'm going to save your life and redeem you. Notice that my yoke is easy, my burden is light, kind of language or idea there. Um, so he, he, he has them tell their children, he prepares them, look for an opportunity to teach your kids what I've done for you. They're not to forget what God has done for them as a people. So there's, there's this, um, the children will hear this in the midst of the parents' obedience to this feast. It's not only a visual, but a continual reminder of what they hear. What does that, what does that impress upon you? <laughs> as uh, possible future parents. We're to be about teaching our kids, right? We're training now to have something to teach them, right? In our obedience, living out the visual, and in how we, how we explain why we live the way we live. We're not to be like the rest of the culture. We're to be distinct and different, and we're to be able to share with our children why that's the case and call them to be distinct and different. And that's kind of the picture here. What's the response of the elders to Moses' instruction? Two things. Verses 27 28. What's the response? They worshipped. And then what? And obedience. One might even say worship by obedience. So here you have this complete time period where they are to get the leaven out of their houses. They are to eat only unleavened bread. I have to skip down here because we're out of order. 
They're to do it communally. Have the idea of community. We're all doing this on the first and the last day of this feast. And on those first and last days, they're to do no work because God is working. They're to keep it, guard it, treasure it, teach their children about it. And it's to be done in worship and obedience. Now what if I were to tell you that leaven is used as a metaphor for sin again and again and again in the Old Testament and New Testament? Does that make sense? Beware the leaven of the Pharisees, Jesus would say. He's He's worried about their cooking skills? The definition of leaven, I've always understood it just being kind of like yeast. Mm -hmm. But it said even that it puffs up the bread, it makes it light and fluffy. Kind of like light and fluffy theology came to mind. Light and fluffy? Yeah. Do you you think of a certain TV channel? or (laughs) It's light and fluffy in the area. It makes no sense. Seems to be filling, but it's not. Um, Luke 12, 1, Jesus identifies the, the, the leaven as hypocrisy. They, they look like they're part of the community, but they're light and fluffy. <laughs> they talk a good game, they're light and fluffy. Full of hot air. I want to make this point first. Notice that redemption is by means of a substituted sacrifice and that's celebrated first. Then there is this get the leaven out feast in obedience. Not to earn the merits of the sacrifice but in thankfulness because of the sacrifice. Do you see the order? There is a... um, a following, a feast of unleavened bread that begins with the deliverance of God out of oppression, the delivered out of the slavery of sin into the freedom of Christ that results in joyful, thankful, worshipful obedience to Him. Do you see the picture here in the Old Testament of what God has called us to? These things aren't by accident. I mean, these aren't just, let's see what we use. Ah, bread's a good thing. That should be easy for them to do. Let's throw that down. These are, this is God creating pictures uh, in Paul's terminology for you on whom the ends of the ages have come. These things are done for our instruction, he says. This doesn't make you holy. Fighting sin does not make you holy. The sacrifice makes you holy. You're declared righteous in Christ. Out of worship and obedience, we're faithful to to, to, to be what we're called to be, to be who we are in Christ. And it takes work, but it's His work. Do you see the picture? Is that clear? Am I stretching? I don't mean to be stretching. I, I don't think I'm stretching. Look at... Um, go to 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8. Okay. Yes, sir. We know you're not stretching because He's asking them to do this every year, to celebrate this feast yearly. So obviously it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. And and you're cut off if you don't do it. It's, what does that tell you, Christian? Be five. Chapter five. First Corinthians five, six through eight. We went through this a little bit last week. I want to read the whole kind of idea. Now remember that this this chapter is dealing with Paul is dealing with the situation in Corinth where there's been gross sin in the camp. And they're not addressing it. Um, there's a, a sexually immoral thing going on, and it's he says it's not even tolerated by pagans what's going on, and yet they're tolerating it. And so he comes to this place in verse six. He says, "Your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. What does that mean?" Why does he say? Why does he call that boasting? But isn't that just kind of a loving act, just to kind of leave things alone, and let it work out? He calls that prideful. Why does he? Why does he say that? Why would he call that prideful? Right. God's.
called us to be a holy assembly. And by not dealing with sin in the camp, this is a communal thing. When you're saved, you're saved individually, but you're saved into a body. Right? My sin affects you because we're a body. Yes? Sure, sure. The individual knows better because they shouldn't be doing it. They need to be getting leaven out of their own house. And the body knows better not to tolerate it, not to let somebody keep going on in sin, right? So he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? What does he mean by that? If we leave leaven, what does leaven do? Light and fluffy. Does it stop it? It's a little lump? Little section? What does it do? Keeps moving. Your sin affects everybody. Yeast is alive. It moves. It grows. And if we don't deal with it, it grows. Not only in that individual, as we see this progressive sin in this guy's life, but also in the camp. And they're not dealing with it. They... um, they not only don't condemn it, but in some instances they may give hearty approval to it. What does that sound like? Tolerance. You think so? Um, I was thinking about Romans one. Maybe but there's a couple of kings in the, in the Old Testament that just allowed stuff to happen, mm-hmm. and God would come and punish them for not cleansing out you know, the, the nation. And I mean that's what we're supposed to do. I was um, been reading through Luke recently and saw Jesus talking a lot of the time, and everybody thinks, oh, God is love. But reading through that stuff, man, that stuff is tough. You're like, this yeah. is of Jesus. You can't say this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, no, he's, stuff off. He's, not, <laughs> he's not a unifier. Yeah. He's not, not so much a um, He actually says, I came to bring a sword. You know, I, What are you going to do with that? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Deal with it or it's going to spread. What does he say to do? He gives an imperative, a command. Verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. What does that mean? Seen some of this language here? Cleanse it out. Get it out. And eventually he's going to say, Cut the guy out of of the camp. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good. Uh, So he's going to say, Cut the guy out of the camp eventually. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Why? So you can earn your new lump status? What does his next phrase say? What is the next phrase in that verse? As you really are unleavened. You're not earning purity. You're not earning holiness. What he's saying is be who you are in Christ. And anything against that is the leaven of the Pharisees. That's hypocrisy. We're called to be holy because we are holy in Him. Don't be like pagans. That's not who you are anymore. You're a new creation, a holy priesthood, a royal nation. Be who you are in Christ. And then it gets to for Christ, Andrew, what you just said. Why? What is it about Jesus that makes us want to be new lumps? What is it? What does he say? He's the Passover lamb. This is in response to Christ, our Passover lamb. Right? We're declared righteous, so we work to be righteous, to be who we are. Not, not to earn it, to be it. Does that make sense? Does anybody disagree? Am I not saying that right, clearly? Um, Here's the thing. If we don't... Okay, here's a plug. Chad Barnes is preaching through 1 John in the Oasis. And he... he, Yesterday, the the ride that I did, 45 minutes there, 45 minutes back, it's great. I can listen to two of them, right, as I'm riding, because I'm just sweating and puffing anyway, so I might as well... Redeem the time for the days are evil. So I'm, I'm listening to Chad preach through First John. He does this lesson on the shocking love of God. And it just it kills me. 
because I, I don't, you know. He, he goes through, this is love. He defines love, John does. Chad you know, uses John to define love. This is love, not that we love God. And he goes through this whole 10-minute thing about, that's not a big deal. We should love God. He's perfect. He's beautiful. He's holy. The shocking thing is, we don't fully love God. That's not love, but that God loved us, right? And then he goes into where we are, starting, you know, by nature, children of wrath. He goes through this whole thing of how ridiculous that is for the king of the universe to love his rebels. <laughs> what a crazy thing, but he does. And then he extrapolates it to, guess what? We're to reflect that in how we love each other. And he gives an example. Of just a simple thing, his kids, he and his kids were going to go swimming, and they meet. Uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll call her out, Colleen Schulenberger. They, their neighbors are right across the street. It's an interesting setup, and and they, they're right across the street. So Colleen says, "Hey, what are y'all doing?" And he says, "We're going swimming, but we, we don't have any towels because we forgot to wash them or whatever." And and so he turns back in, and he, uh, Amanda and Colleen were talking. And so he turns back in to kind of load up the car, and before he realizes it, Colleen is back across the street and back with towels. Here. See you guys. Y'all have fun. Bye. He said, that's shocking. It's a simple thing, but I didn't even know she was doing it. I didn't ask her to do it. And what convicted me about that simple little thing, just bringing towels, was that my initial response would have been, you want me to bring you some towels? Right? Would you like for me to serve you, brother? What's the motive there? Recognition. That's me. I will serve you. That's Levin. It's light, fluffy, puffy, full of hair. Colleen's response was unleavened. She just did it. Brought it back. Have a great time. Wash the towels before we bring them back. But, just... but that's the resp- Do you see that? It's a very simple expression. It crushed me. I was going uphill anyway. It was hard. But it crushed me. Because that's my response. Let me help you. That's not service. That's not taking on the nature of of God that he's granted to us through Christ and serving people. Uh, our, Our bent is selfish. What makes me feel good at the moment? What do I need? What can I get out of this? Rather than, is this good, right, and true for my brother or sister in Christ first? Family of God first. If we aren't learning how to serve here, we're certainly not going to serve out there. Case in point, this morning, God cut me off on the road. (laughs) I'm not feeling very service-oriented, this guy. So it's got to start here with people we know, people we're with a lot, serving them. But it's God doing that in us. Very crazy, really. Uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That sure seems like work. For it is God who works in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Well, that's God working, so I'm working. It's kind of a weird dynamic Star Trek kind of thing. It goes back to dying daily. You're yes. not really working, you're dying. You're, well, dying's hard work. Well, I know it ask, is. Ask that in Arm Judson. He did it like three times. It was really weird. But um, he got married. Anyway, so the, the, what are you I'm just kidding. It's a joke. Um, no, he, he, there's a there's a book that Piper wrote, uh, dying you know, dying so hard or something. Anyway, it's, and it's about I don't know Jets. Anyway, um, great 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 book. Recommended. It's free. It's Kindle. Um, anyway, so so th- th- any questions here? I, I'm at ten o'clock. Any any questions here? Does that make sense? Yes. I was just gonna say that. These ideas reminded me of the Lord's Prayer, where you know he, he's, he's giving praise to God and he's um, asking for forgiveness, asking for uh, to be given the daily bread, the real bread that mm-hmm. we need, which is Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, those those same ideas just kind of reminded me of, right. of the example prayer that Jesus give us our daily unleavened bread. Yeah, we need it. We need, we are dependent upon him for our growth in sanctification, our growth in holiness. I can see that. We're to work on sanctification, not individually, but corporately. Everything here is done corporately. 
there, there's a sense in which um, I, I need to be discipled by you, you need to be discipled by each other and me, and, and we're all in it together, and when I, I see things a little differently than you do, you see things a little differently than, my, than I do, it shapes my understanding of Scripture, it shapes my understanding of how I'm to live, ideas on how to raise my kids, all that stuff is done corporately. It's a means of God's grace to grow us into the image of Christ. Um, not to make ourselves holy, because we really are unleavened, it says. To be who you are in Christ. We're holy because of his sacrifice. We don't earn the merits to, to be worthy of his sacrifice. Notice that you can't have... Huh, this is interesting. You can't have the benefits of the sacrificed lamb without a season, a complete season, of unleavened bread. Do you see that? Uh, I had a guy come up to me one time. I have several people do this, but they came up to me a long time ago. None of you in here, so don't look around. Uh, he said to me, you know, I made Jesus my Savior before I made him my Lord. So you wanted to have the Passover lamb without the unleavened bread. Is that what you're telling me? You should be cut off from the, from the camp, Bubba. Uh, we can't do one without the other. To, to enter into Christ is to receive Him as Lord. There is no difference. And, and that governs everything. What is it? A guy named Abraham Kuyper once said, there is no place on earth or in any sphere of life where Jesus said, has not said, this is mine. That involves how we use our bodies. That involves what we put into our heads. That involves how we speak to each other, how we show grace to each other. All of it falls under the lordship of Christ, and it's done in worship and obedience. Purity is an act of worship. Right? It's an act of worship. Um, Kindness. This is what crushed me on the hill. Kindness is an act of worship. It's in obedience to what God has said. You can't have one without the other. There's no, I'm forgiven, now I can live again. I want to live because I'm free... No, there's a law of Christ, and it restrains us because we want to be like Him. I'm not jumping from hookup to hookup to hookup because I want to be holy in Christ. I'm not stirring up division in the body of Christ because I want it to be unified and holy. And D- Does that make sense? Am I repeating myself? We need to shut it off. It restrains us like the walls of a castle, not like the walls of a prison. It protects us from the evil that's outside, not just in some kind of confinement. So the, the restraint then just is, is like the walls of a castle, not the walls of a prison. So you're not, you're not trading one taskmaster of sin for another. You're trading one taskmaster for a king who, who is your brother. right? Um, good. Well, how does Paul end this little foray into the Feast of the Unleavened Bread? Look at verse 8. Let us, therefore, celebrate the festival. And notice he says it's one festival. Passover and unleavened bread is one festival. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and and truth. I gotta mean this stuff. This has got to be transforming my heart, or I'm not being sincere. I've got the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, the hypocrisy. That's a constant struggle, isn't it? To to believe it, trust it, mean it, live it. And yet that's what we're called to do. Because He's working in us. Any? Okay. Stop. Any any other comments, questions? Okay. Um, I'll look at seven there, and it kind of should be up in the beginning because you you look at worship and look at the Lord, you know, loving the Lord, and if you love Him, you're going to obey Him. So that kind of sets all those under Him, really. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking of, I think it's Nahum, 
and stole when he went into war and he buried it all underneath his... Aiken, yeah. Aiken, yeah, you're right, yeah. And um, he was cut off, not just him, but his whole family. Right. Just because a little sin, you know... Levels off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and sin always takes you farther than we'll go. Yeah. And, um, and takes others with you. Exactly. His whole family. It's yeah. It's a very... Um, we don't really in in our very advanced modern era. We don't we don't think in terms of how my unrighteousness affects other people. We don't certainly don't think how it affects it. It, it becomes a reproach to, to God Himself. How we how we live, and all and you're right, but I. I want to follow the flow of the passage, you know, to kind of, that's where they ended up. But yes, you're right. That, that is the overarching theme here. We worship and obey because of what's been provided for us in, in Christ. Um, okay. All right. Any, any other comments? That was good. Somebody else had something to say, I think. I was going to say it's, it's much easier to love your brother in Christ when you see that their identity is Christ and you just focus on their sin. <clears throat> you're not looking at who they really are, you're looking at their old self. Mm. And to help them chip that away and to become who they're supposed to be, to be Christ, and you have to see them as Christ. I, I think it's very well represented in marriage, like the husband is supposed to sanctify the wife mm-hmm. and vice versa. Oh, and yeah. it's not just marriage, even in just brothers and sisters in Christ, sure. we're to build each other up and help us become the ultimate eventually will be glorified, and that's the, the goal. Right. Right. You're already there, but it takes a little chip away. Right. Well, it, it, it's... There's a quote attributed to Martin Luther. I'm not really sure. I, th- I think it may be a fabrication attributing it to him because there's no really written record of it, but he talks about how the righteousness of Christ is like snow over a dung heap. Palapu. And he's got... God looks down and he sees the snow over, you know, he sees the righteousness of Christ and underneath is a, is a, is a, is a cow patty, right? But the Spirit makes the cow patty gold underneath the snow over time. God sees the righteousness, but sanctification is a part of making that gold. I don't think that was, a, I don't think that was Luther, I had, I was, but I like that visual. I had something else in mind. I can't remember. Who's it that did... Um, David, the statue was Michelangelo, or Michelangelo. Michelangelo. Yeah, so Michelangelo got a big block of marble, or granite marble, and he said, when we asked him how he did it, he said, well, I just got this marble, and I chipped away what wasn't David. So he just saw it. <laughs> <laughs> he chipped away what wasn't David. And then, That's good. I didn't know that. I heard that. Okay. All right, any other comments? Yes, sir. I just think it's interesting, kind of impact my heart our sincerity as it relates to unleavened bread versus our own personal sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> it's kind of easy to take sin lightly mm-hmm. and just to kind of go by or to think other people are really bad. So you don't need to really focus on really personal heart change. Mm-hmm. So I just to think about, for me, to think about how my pursuit of that relates to my sincerity and love to God. Mm-hmm. We, we see the where the heart is by how we live it out. That's the that's James justified. My faith is justified by my works. Not that we're righteous with God any more than but but we, we others see it and say, well yeah, that's God's different. It's transformed. There's a sincerity there of okay. You're looking at me like I said something wrong. Okay, good. Alright. Tammy the restraint of Tammy, uh, the law of Tammy restrains me. Um, all right, good. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, what a what a glorious thing to be declared righteous in Christ. What an honor it is to be um, part of His body. Don't ever let us be um, be a. a, a light, a spot um, on your church. 
God, move our hearts to love one another, to speak the truth in sincerity to one another, and to receive the truth in sincerity from each other. Not that we're going on some kind of sin witch hunt all the time, but that we see and rejoice in the glory of Christ being expressed through the hearts and, and the lives of our brothers and sisters around us. Father, I pray that that is an encouragement to us to continue to, to fight our sin. If we live by the flesh, we will die. But if by the Spirit we put to death the deeds of the body, we will live. It's, there's no middle ground. There's no Savior, I'll make you Lord later. Jesus is Lord from the beginning, or he's not at all. And that requires of us to look like him. It's a a delight to pursue the image of Christ in our own hearts. And we pray, Father, that you make it a delight, that you incline our hearts toward repentance and trust that you are greater than any kind of uh, personal relationship with with some... um, someone we've elevated into godlike status because we've got to have them or or that you're you're you that you would be greater than a, a a bank account that we're pouring all of our effort into to retire before we're 40 or some cheaper option a trinket that's temporary Keep our hearts alive and burning for the eternal, which is to know you and your Son. Sanctify us in the truth, for your word is truth. We thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Yeah, we did. <laughs>